Great. All right, there we go. Clark Patterson, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's um yeah, no, it's really awesome to have you um on the podcast, especially, you know, as, as someone who uh, you know, lives in Tennessee. I, I don't live in your congressional district sadly but uh, i i always love talking to uh texas candidates people that are running for office because they they always have a million different things going on man how's the campaign trail been treating you so far well it's it's been good but as you may know taylor most of the congressional races, and this is really also the case with state Senate and state House races, they're not competitive at all. And uh, I don't know why, because this is probably my sixth campaign in the last, well, I, I take that back. I actually ran 40 years ago for state House, and then I took like a 30-year break. And so since 2012, I've run... In every uh, congressional campaign, so that's what, maybe five. Uh, but the point I, sh I should make is that none of those races have been competitive. Uh, they've either been very red. I think that's the majority of the times I've run against uh, Republicans, but they were all very safe Republican seats. And, you know, I think one time I actually ran against Lloyd Doggett, who is my current uh, opponent. Uh, mm -hmm. And this was like, yeah, four years ago. So that was, so he's like the only Democrat. Yeah, he is the only Democrat I've run against. But again, the seat is completely non-competitive. He, uh, I, I was checking out Cook Political Report and they, you know, they're basically calling it a solid Democratic race. So he'll probably win with 59% of the vote. And so I don't know why it took me until this uh, campaign to actually look into it but it turns out in the entire state of texas again this is just congress so there's 38 congressional seats uh, according to the cook political report there's only one seat that is competitive and it's it's number 28 and unfortunately for the lp there's not an lp candidate it's it's the district that's actually just south of san antonio i think it goes from like the southern part of san antonio down to the valley you know the rio grande valley right. and uh, but anyway the, the point of course is that all other 37 seats are you know non-competitive they're all solid democrat or solid republican so i say this in answering your question you could almost make the argument in fact i would it's almost like we don't really have a race because doggett since he you know, it would it would take an act of God or a madman for him to lose. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not holding my breath, but he, he he just he will win with likely, you know, in the high 50s, maybe even in the 60s. And there is a Republican opponent. Her name is Jenny uh, Garcia Sharon. But I seriously doubt that she's spending much money um, because the Republicans aren't going to put any money into a race like this one and which is most of them where there's just not a really a snowball uh snowball hill in chances of, of her winning and again i don't know why it, it it never i never saw this really until until really this this year 
it, it's most of our political races. I mean, honestly, Taylor, it's almost like we're living in a third world country because obviously, you know, this is politics. So politicians are, are going to do the safe thing. And so, so Doggett, you know, he, he's not going to debate like, you know, in the old days, it seems like the league of women voters would always, you know, uh, schedule a, a nonpartisan debate. But, but why, if, if you're sitting on a lead that big, what, you know, what do you have to gain by debating? Right. Well, not much, if, if anything. So, so anyway, I guess, so the point is, it's like, there's just not on the legislative level, not, not counting the statewide races. Well, well even there though, you know, <laughs> I think Beto <laughs> uh, has a, an outside chance, but, but not really. And so maybe, maybe Mark Tippett has the same problem, but on, on our level, uh, you know, the congressional level, and, and I, I'm going to guess that it's the same with with the state house and state senate districts because you know the republicans control the legislature so they get to draw the lines every 10 years and you know if anything if if we were going to have any competitive races it would be you know 2022 because they just you know the census was just two years ago and texas gained two congressional seats so that you know that shakes up the shakes things up a little where you know if if you're going to have a chance at having a competitive race it would be the very first election after, uh, you know, the, the census where, you know, we gained the seats. We, we gained two here in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, some states don't gain any. Some states don't, get any, they don't gain any seats, but they still redraw the lines because, you know, whichever party is in control, because, uh, you know, there may be more people in, in, in the state or, you know, maybe fewer people like in California. California lost a seat. But, but anyway, the point is, it's like, you know, it's like there's no real race at all. It would be like going to a boxing match where, you know, one guy, I don't know, is way out ahead or maybe a football game where there's, you know, one one team somehow is given a 40-point lead. Well, they're just going to run the clock out. I mean, they're right. not going to really do anything. They're going to play it safe. And that's kind of how it is on, on the legislative le- level congressional uh, level and uh, like i say i think it, it's a bit different maybe with some of those statewide races and maybe uh, at the municipal level where often people are voting for the person because they don't really know what party uh, a particular candidate affiliates with maybe in those cases you have closer elections but but i i can just honestly say uh, there's it, it's almost like there's not really a race because Doggett is just going to run the clock out. Uh, there's no, he has nothing to gain by debating even his Republican opponent, never mind a third party candidate like me. And I, I mean, I, I use that term third world country. Well, you know, the old Soviet Union, they actually had elections and nobody really <laughs> saw them as being having any kind of power. So yeah, I know a lot of libertarians talk about the du- duopoly. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, but in our case, it, it's just there, there's really just not any competition. I mean, you know, in the past, in fact, the reason I started running years ago is because the, 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 the ultimate goal or the minimal goal for any libertarian candidate was always to, to have, you know, to get enough votes to or it was more than the difference between the two major parties. So, for example, uh, if there was a libertarian candidate in that uh, congressional district 28, and let's say that the Democrat got 50, 51 percent and the Republican got 
you know, whatever, 40, 49 percent. Well, maybe. Well, that's actually that comes out to 100. But I think, you know, where I'm going, In right, other words, right. where the libertarian, the libertarian, whatever it is, let's say it's three percent, four percent. It would be more than the difference between, uh, you know, the, the the winning Democrat and the the second place Republican, where we would actually uh, they, they would the major parties would be forced to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I need every vote I can get. I better look at those libertarians, what, what's important to them, and actually pay us some respect. Well, that would be great if we had competitive elections, but, but like I mentioned before, we don't. And so that doesn't even come into play because, quite frankly, you know, the seat is not really in play. So it, it's kind of sad, but I, you know, I look at it like, at some point, I was some little twenty-year-old kid who, uh, you know, who first first election. Uh, and this is years ago. I took it very seriously. I took my vote seriously, and I remember, I, you know, I did my research, and and after doing some research, I, I realized, you know, there's this third party called the Libertarians, and they make a lot of sense, and the other two parties are kind of, you know, they engage in demagoguery, and so. I, that's basically I became a libertarian uh, pretty much, you know, with the first election I was able to vote in first national election. And so that's always my hope. I, you know, I put out my my web, you know, I have a, a website and I have a Facebook page. And mm-hmm. so the hope is that maybe there's someone like maybe me or even you when you were when you were getting into libertarianism, there, there might be those few people who, you know, who take their vote pretty seriously and they actually take the time to do the research and then they realize oh wow we have a 30 trillion dollar federal debt and growing <laughs> it's not like it's just standing still it grows every you can go to the debt clock you know, it's just clicking along you know and pretty soon right. it'll be 31 trillion and then we have unfunded liabilities of you know much more and so i guess so my whole reason for running because obviously i've I've given a very strong reason as to why you know, why even run. Is it because I think there are young people, you know, every year who vote for the very first time for some federal or even state office, and you know they they think you know that it can make a difference. Their vote can make a difference. And you know the policies, you know, pro gun control, anti gun control, whatever it is, you know, death penalty, immigration, abortion, all the major issues. It actually makes a difference as to which policies are, are implemented. And so, so it's kind of like those those are the voters, and it's probably not a very high percentage. It's probably not more than maybe one percent of the entire voting population right. that will actually take the time look into the issues and they realize, well, these libertarian guys, I mean, they don't seem to be trying to demagogue the issues. They're just laying the facts out as they see them. I may not agree with all the facts, but, but, you know, they're talking about, you know, the wars, the forever wars overseas or how, you know, the Washington is just printing money out of thin air. And, (laughs) you know, if you take the time and, and, and think it's, it's really important, then, you know, I, I think many people would come to libertarianism, but I think for for whatever reason, people don't take the time or don't think it's particularly important. And so, so we kind of hover along at our, you know, the LP hovers along at it's two, three, sometimes we get 4%. And sometimes if there's not a major party candidate in a race, well, of course, you know, we'll get 15, maybe 
maybe even 20%, but, but that's kind of the exception. So it's kind of grim, but I always look at it like, you know, it's the young people, every generation has, you know, they'll have their chance to kind of start the world all over again, as it said. And so, so that's why I keep running because I think that, you know, if we can just reach enough young people to look at things and, and, you know, pretty soon <laughs> when they realize just how much debt there is and, you know, it's not going away, you can always repudiate the debt, of course, yeah. but there's consequences to that. Um, but, but anyway, that, that's why I keep running, even though it's clear that the two major parties, you know, which, whichever, whichever party controls the congressional seat that I'm running in, uh, you know, they, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to come out and, debate us or or even half the time they don't even fill out the surveys it's, it's really incredible right. when you we get all these surveys and, you know there's no response from you know candidate you know democratic candidates so so that that is kind of depressing but you know again i yeah i realize that this is I, i'd love to see liberty in, in my lifetime i may not but you have to keep you know fighting for the world you want uh, i mean there's just really no other alternative yeah, you you um you yeah you brought up a lot of really good points there, and I I just want to um yeah the the Zoom timer did kick on, so we're on a a little bit of a limit now. But but you you mentioned it a lot on the website, and you mentioned it you know a, a few times there. But that that national debt number, it's over thirty trillion. It's going to pass thirty one trillion uh, soon. <laughs> you know, it won't take very long for it to cross that threshold. Um, and it and and to a lot of people. It just seems like this impossible weight that the country is carrying that we can't seem to shake off or make any progress on or or pay down any. I mean, how how do we even begin to tackle our massive national debt? Well, you know, I think most Americans, it's just a number. You know, what's that great line by you know, Joseph Stalin? He said. I mean, obviously, I'm not a fan of Joe Stalin, but he had that great line. What was it? It was something like um, um, a death is a catastrophe. You know, a million deaths is a statistic. Right. And that's right. kind of how the American people, you know, if it was if it was their own, you know, if I owed forty thousand dollars or what? Of course, a lot of Americans do owe a lot in credit card debt and, you know, because of our incredibly artificially low interest rates but but a lot of people it, it just doesn't seem like we'll ever get to where greece was i don't know 10 years ago and venezuela is today they don't understand how it could happen here we could become another venezuela or another greece uh, it could easily happen because you know americans today i, I really think that it sounds like there we, we have this heritage of liberty, granted, but most Americans, it, it's like they're just when it comes to politics, they're totally focused on the short run. And it's like, you know, heads I win, tails you lose, Taylor, you know, heads I win, tails, tails you lose. Mm -hmm. And so it's Americans, unfortunately, put as much time uh, into they, they put less time an effort and seriousness into their how they vote and who they support than they do buying a you know a big screen tv 
And that's really sad. But I, I think that's true. And because and, the average American, I think, you know, when it comes to investing for the future, saving for their kids' college, uh, if they even need to anymore, since <laughs> the government will just, uh, you know, <laughs> repudiate debt. But, but, you know, in other words, the average American, when it comes to buying a second home or even buying a first home or, or you know, what, what job they'll take. And, and in your case, you know, you had to weigh all the pros and cons of leaving Tennessee and, and moving to Texas and where in Texas and what job. Well, I think the average American, like, like most people probably worldwide, put a whole lot of thought and effort into that. But for some reason, those same people, when it comes to voting, it's like they've gone to Vegas, <laughs> had a few drinks and gee, do we play the crap tables or we play blackjack or, you know, play the slot machines or, you know, it, it's, it's just, there's just not much seriousness to it. And, and honestly, I think until that changes, then America gets the politicians that we deserve and right now it's it's uncle you know sleepy joe and and donald trump neither of whom i'm a fan of i mean honestly i guess i i might get into trouble saying this but between the two i would probably have to say trump is a little bit less worse than you know biden and kamala harris and hillary and barack but but not by much. And you would think a great country like we are, and we're obviously the United States is argue, arguably the greatest country in the history of man or beast. But, you know, it's like, is that really the best we can do? Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden? <laughs> well, evidently it is. And it, it's really because the average American, I really do think they want something for nothing. They're like the proverbial uh, college freshman who goes off to college and, you know, they're 18 years old. Uh, they insist on being treated like an adult. But as soon as they run out of money, they get on the horn with their parents. Well, you're going to, you know, you're going to send me money, right? <laughs> run out of money. You know, in other words, they want something for nothing. And, you know, unfortunately, I think too many Americans, we saw. All right. We, uh, yeah, we are back. Had to open up another Zoom. Uh, room to continue the conversation, but uh, I, you know we were just getting started. So I, I would definitely love to to hear the rest. You know, you, you were talking about the national debt and how people just don't pay attention to it. They they have other things going on, and and there are there, there are other things that they're worried about, and they just don't think about the the massive weight of all this debt that the U.S. has accumulated. Um, right, right. Although uh, I think. That can't go on forever, of course. And when you have, like we're saying, 31 trillion uh, and counting. And of course, that doesn't even include state and local debt. You know, my hometown, Houston, everybody, I mean, it's as far as the big cities go, it's probably one of the better ones. And But sure enough, they've, they've promised their municipal workers, they've given them, you know, really overly generous pensions. And I think they have like, I don't know, it's many, many billions and 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 obligations uh, just for that. So in other words, yeah, that 31 trillion, it's not like it's just standing still. It, it continues to grow. And then of course we have the unfunded liabilities. I don't even know how much it is, but I've seen anywhere from 90 trillion to 200 trillion. And that's, you know, basically you're mortgaging the next generation's future. And then again, you know, again, this is just federal debt. It's not state, state debt or 
you know, local right. death. So, but, but for a lot of Americans, we, we haven't really experienced what Greece did. Uh, you know, I guess it was right after uh, the big meltdown of, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, so we haven't gone there yet. And certainly we haven't gone to where Venezuela is, but, but that could happen. I mean, you can't just keep piling on more and more debt. At some point you have to address it. And of course, many libertarians and, and I would consider myself one of them. I, you know, we should consider repudiating it. Uh, and in other words, just saying that, I'm sorry, we're not going to, we're not going to pay it off because in order to pay it off, of course, you've got to tax more people and, you know, taxation is theft, of course. And of course, right. and we have a history going way back to the, in the, you know, aftermath of the, rep, you know, the war, our war of independence against Great Britain, they did repudiate uh, those debts. So, and of course, they also you know, issued paper money. So, unfortunately, that was something that goes all the way back to the beginning, you know, of, of the country. Uh, but, but yeah. So, so until things get bad, and and of course, with the, un, the un upcoming recession. And, and it could be a pretty bad one. I was listening today. It might even be worse than the one in 08, 09. Uh, maybe that would wake people up. But unfortunately, I'm not very optimistic. When Americans, uh, when, when things go bad, Americans, unfortunately, in the past almost 100 years, when things go bad, it doesn't mean that freedom will prevail. Like Americans will say, oh, I get it. Those libertarians have been saying, you know, this could happen. Uh, I don't think that's that's not going to be the response of many Americans. In fact, <laughs> if anything, it'll be like COVID where people will go, well, gee, shouldn't the government step in and do, you know, this, that and the other and the other? Shouldn't they just continue? Like, you know, obviously, many Americans got checks in the mail because obviously the feds shut down and the state governments did, too. They shut down the economy. They put, you know, millions of Americans under house arrest, essentially. So so anyway, yeah, when things get bad, uh, you know, when I was much younger, I thought things getting bad would mean that Americans would wake up and turn anti-government and turn libertarian. I'm I'm not nearly near. In fact, I I don't think that will will happen. Um, It may not get worse. Uh, but, you know, obviously the government will have less money to spend when when things are bad. But but the idea that somehow that, you know, the upcoming recession is going to somehow wake the American people up to libertarianism. I, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and if, if anything, it's just as likely, you know, to happen that Americans move towards more statism, towards more government. And again, obviously, the, the government will not be able to to really raise taxes during during the upcoming recession but but they'll probably try to print more money like they've done <laughs> like literally for the last what since the great depression you know it's just uh spend and inflate but at some point again like like i was just to wrap this up uh you you can't do what the last generation did to the current generation where you know when i was much younger the federal debt was like one trillion dollars then it went to two trillion dollars under reagan and now it's 31 trillion. <laughs> and I definitely remember, I, you know, I was much younger, of course. This is in the 80s. We couldn't believe that Reagan had doubled. He doubled the national debt to $2 trillion. We thought that might. In fact, that's when Ron Paul quit the Republican Party. Of course, he was planning on running as the LP candidate, uh, you know, in 1988. But, 
But, you know, he 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 had that great letter where he said, you know, the Republican Party, essentially what he said was the Republican Party has lost all credibility when it comes to attacking big government. And boy, was he right. Right. Of course, now that we're twenty eight, twenty nine trillion dollars more in debt. I mean, it just, you know, if anything, he was he understated uh, the truth. And so. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not very optimistic about the near term. It, it really will take the next generation of people. I mean, I'm hoping that with all the homeschooling that we have now, we didn't have that back back when I was uh, in school. But now you, you have all these people who who understand that, you know, why should I have the government schools have anything to do with my my, you know, my precious children. So so maybe, you know, with homeschooling in the future, the, the little kids, I think they call them Generation Alpha. You know, there's a beyond oh, really? beyond the Zoomers. <laughs> yeah, it's called Generation Alpha. There's a little kid you see running around, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I guess they're three to, to 10. Yeah, those kids, if they're being homeschooled and, you know, they get the right idea. Of course, you know, uh, there's a lot of bad ideas you can teach your kid, you know, on your own. But, but right. if you can just get enough of these young homeschooled kids, you know, with some great ideas, then we have we have a shot. But, you know, that's going to take another 25 years. And that, that's how I look at it. It's, it's This is a marathon. It's not. You know, when I was younger, I thought that libertarianism would be within, you know, 10 years, 15 years around the corner. Now that I'm older, I realize that was very naive. And now I think, you know, if, if we just start with the young people, if we can get enough people out of the government schools and enough, you know, liberty, liberty minded people, even if they're not complete libertarians to understand that the government has no clothes and you, you really don't want the government having anything to do with educating your, your children. And like I say, if we can get just a critical mass of liberty minded people to raise their kids, right. And then I think, you know, again, these little, little kids running around when, the, when they get to be adults, then we've got a shot, but, but that's a long time, you know, that's you know, a whole generation and hopefully the federal debt won't, you know, won't, won't be 60, 70 trillion uh, by then, but you know, it could be. And at that point, of course, you know, you and me will be in some old folks home, hopefully, or somewhere. And, you know, I, I don't know what, what could happen, but, but, you know, right now the baby, you know, the baby boom generation, they're about, they're starting to hit retirement age and the money's just not there. And I think there are enough young people now who, who realize that it's like, Hey, you know, what, you know, you, you old people, you've given us this, these trillions of dollars in debt. And now, you know, you don't want to cut social security payments because, you know, social security is, it's, it's very well protected. You know, the, the right. benefits are, are, are far more than you put into the system. I, I know Medicare in particular, the average American, gets far more out of med, especially if you live you know, well past 65 which of course people are doing now and that and that's a good thing of course people living longer but but if, if you took all the dollars they put into medicare during their earning years it's nothing like what they're getting out especially if you live to be in your 80s and you know that's usually the time when people have medical issues but and of course with with healthcare being completely cartelized by by the government obviously that that doesn't help. No, that just makes prices higher. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, I know that's pretty, pretty pessimistic on my end. But maybe you have some optimistic ideas that that can bring things up. Some Taylor, well, do you? Uh, 
<laughs> well, I wish I did. Um, and you know, well, like, like you mentioned, you know, social security and Medicare, that's like, like the national debt is, is a crisis we're going to have to deal with, a, you know, a little further down the road. And social security and Medicare seems to be like the other big crisis that we have coming up that like, it's just that, that everyone knows it too. People talk about it. They'll even, you know, they'll even joke about it to the younger generation, you know, like th- this, you know, this money is not going to be here for you. <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you're, you're paying into it, but you're, you're not going to get anything out of it. I mean, that it, it's going to dry up well before, you know, some, someone like me or, you know, ever gets to see any of it. I mean, and, and, and it's like you said, like the Republicans and Democrats just seem to have no, no interest in solving the problem at all. I mean, it doesn't matter who's in charge of Congress or who's president. Like they just keep stacking more debt on top of debt that we already shouldn't have. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. uh, uh, I mean, please, please go ahead. Well, you know, I've always thought now I was a Republican for literally just a few years uh, before I became a libertarian because I just saw, I mean, I, I, in other words, I come out of the right. I, I just do. I mean, I understand, you know, the Nolan chart and where, you know, I'm pretty much right on second base, whereas, you know, <laughs> I guess a total authoritarian would be at home plate. And, but I kind of came from the right. I, I think it's fair to say, you know, I was kind of a Reagan, a Reaganite. And then I saw a lot of the inconsistencies. But but, you know, the, the honest to God truth is the Republicans have the advantage w- when they. When they campaign, they can always say, you know, we're for less government, too, uh, but we're not like those crazy libertarians where we're going to cut your Social Security and cut your Medicare. So they can they can demagogue those issues. They can say, you know, oh, those libertarians, they're crazy. They want to cut, you know, 95 percent of the federal government, which, of course, I do. And hopefully most libertarians do, too. <laughs> but but the Republicans to say, well, they'll say. Yeah, well, we're also for lower taxes, you know, so let's see those libertarians top that. And yet, you know, we'll we'll give you lower taxes, taxes, American voter, American voters. But, you know, we're not going to cut your benefits because, you know, well, well, you know, back. I don't know if you remember. I'm not sure exactly how old you are, but in the 80s, the whole Kemp Roth thing was like, hey, you know, if we cut taxes, uh, if we cut them enough and if the tax rate is just at the right amount of marginality, that's kind of a fancy word. But but the truth is, when taxes are at a certain point, you can actually cut taxes and increase government revenue. And so now this is this goes way back to like the mm-hmm. Reagan years. So a lot of Republican politicians, beginning with Kemp Roth, beginning with that supply side revolution of the 80s, they decided, hey, I don't have to come out to you know against any for any cuts because i'm for cutting taxes and when we cut taxes it's going to actually grow the you know it'll actually increase government revenue well you know i don't know why you'd want to do that anyway but but anyway yeah so the republicans the the point is it's like the republicans unfortunately to to an average american voter who doesn't give it a whole lot of thought when when he hears that He'll say, oh, yeah, I'll vote Republican because, you know, they'll cut my taxes or at least keep my taxes from going up, but they won't cut my benefits, which, of course, is what we need. <laughs> we need well, obviously, we need to get rid of taxation completely, but you can't just keep spending like a drunken sailor. I mean, right. you just can't. I mean, you have to cut 
government programs and and presumably you know and, and uh, you and i know and libertarians understand that if we had a completely free society i mean the amount of economic growth would be so great you wouldn't need the government you know you wouldn't need uh, these cradle to grave programs like social security and medicare and even medicaid but but the average american because i i think again like i was saying earlier i don't think they give it enough thought to where they think oh no i want i want the security of, of, of the government safety net there. And again, yeah. like I said, saw this, we saw this during COVID. Unfortunately, Amer- many Americans like, oh, well, you know, let's have the government just stick money, you know, send us money into our bank accounts. And, uh, you know, we'll take the security of, 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 you know, government power over freedom. And, and unfortunately until that changes, and I'm not, honestly, I don't know what it, it'll take. Uh, to have that change, like I say, I think the it's certainly not. You know, if there's an economic recession or depression, which I think there will be, I don't know that it's going to move the U.S. in a more libertarian direction. I think it really will take, like I was saying earlier, it's going to take a critical mass of, of of people taking their kids out of government school and homeschooling them, and uh, you know, and basically raising them and in, in the old you know libertarian belief system. To where when they hit that, you know, adulthood, they'll understand, oh, I see, <laughs> you old guys basically mortgaged our future. So guess what, old people, <laughs> we're, <not>, we're <laughs> going to touch your benefits. I mean, it's, it, there's no other way. I mean, it, it, it's unsustainable, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. So, I yeah. mean, honestly, that's just what's going to have to happen. There, people are going to, I mean, honestly, they're... I think people who have the old people tend to be the richest generation anyway. So they're probably going to have to have a means tested uh, social security program where if you make so much money anyway, you're not going to get your benefits. And uh, that's very unpopular, I'm sure, for even maybe in, among libertarians. But th- there's simply no other way. I mean, either that or you're going to have to repudiate the debt which I'm all for. I have no problem with repudiating <laughs> that. But that's kind, of a, that's kind of a libertarian red meat issue, you know? I mean, it's the average American goes, oh, no, those are, you know, the government promised me all this money. And so, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, they did. Unfortunately, the only way for the government to keep that promise is to, is to you know, is to continue taxing uh, the next generation of people and as we believe, taxation is theft. And I, I, I don't approve that. So I'd rather I'd rather the government uh, obviously either repudiate the debt or sell off all the federal lands. And, and you know, and the, I think 90 percent of the state of Nevada, big chunks of Alaska are owned by the federal government. We'll sell that land off and see what you can do about paying some of those Social Security obligations. But but obviously we have to reform the whole social security and medicare and medicaid systems to where it's not going to just you know double and triple and, and we have to cut benefits there's there's no two ways about it and mm-hmm. it's not very popular but that's just the fact and you know sadly i you know i think you're right that <clears throat> it is going to take you know a generation or so before some you know some younger people start to become more liberty minded and start seeing the issues that you know, that, that you're talking about. Um, and I, and I, I think you're also right when you say, you know, in the short term, it is going to be exactly like what with, what we saw during COVID. I think people are going to lean on the government even harder, 
they're going to expect it. You know, the next time the the economy falls into a, you know a recession and and people are hurting real bad, they're gonna they're gonna expect the government to give them what they did during COVID. And you know, the left is going to push for it and they're going to openly call for it. I mean, that's going to be their you know that's going to be their playbook and republicans they don't have a spine to oppose them so you know they're going to go along with it and then we're going to see another cycle like we're trapped in now we're going to print off all this money and spend all this money and then inflation is going to just tear us apart i mean i mean it's still rough i mean you know i i know the biden administration is trying to play up some some wins uh that they've gotten recently if they want to call them that uh, you know, or Democrats want to campaign on it, but I mean, inflation is still like, uh, it, it's still hurting people really badly. And it has been for a while. And this is just a natural result of what happens whenever you let the government do stuff like that. And sadly, I don't think we've seen the last of it. I think we are going to have to suffer through, you know, learning the actions of our consequences again and again until I don't, I don't know what it would take. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what it would take for more young people to get involved in libertarianism. Um, I mean, I mean, well, how, how exactly did you get involved with it? What was your big, uh, I mean, was it the national debt? Well, you know, honestly, it started with an insult or I actually, I guess I got my feelings hurt. Now this was, I was almost, I was since the spring. I turned 21 let's see, in July of 1980. So I was still 20 and I was a Reaganite. Like I mentioned before, I was at UT Austin and I joined the Young Texans for Reagan. And there was a guy, his name is Robert Hamilton. I'm sure if he, I haven't seen him in many years. Anyway, he was a libertarian and people told me that. And we were talking about the campaign and Reagan was running against, uh, you know, the first George Bush, George H.W. Bush. And anyway, somewhere it came along where we were talking with a couple of other people and um, we were all saying, you know, or I was saying, well, if Reagan gets the nomination, he's going to have to moderate. And by that, I really meant what I think I'm not from 42 years, 42 and a half years ago, I thought, you know, all this, he was a real anti, anti-abortion and anti-ERA. And, and so mm-hmm. that's really what I meant when I said moderate, but Robert, who, you know, was a few years older. And back when I was 20, I really did admire people, even just a few years older, because, you know, just their experience and I had a lot of respect for older people. And anyway, I must have said it wrong because, again, this is many years ago, but I said something like, well, you know, I think, yeah, you know, Reagan, if he gets the nomination, if he ends up winning, he's just going to have to moderate. I used some words similar to that, like he's going to have to moderate. And so Robert Hamilton, again, a few years older, he said, you know, I really can't believe you're you're talking like that. I'm really disappointed in you. So I don't know if that's an insult or uh, uh, my feelings were hurt. So I did what a young person would do. I went to the library because I'd heard, again, I'd heard Robert Hamilton was a libertarian. So I wanted to find out more about libertarianism. So I went to the UT library, Perry Castaneda library, and I (laughs) went to the card catalog and I found a, a book by John Hospers and it was called I, I think that's so funny. The name of the book was Libertarianism, a Political Philosophy for Tomorrow. I'm not making this up. You can Google it. And it wow. was libertarian, and it was a big, thick book. And I read the whole thing. And I'd like to think the rest is history. And then after that, I read, you know, Murray Rothbard had just come out with Four New Liberty. 
I read that pretty much cover to cover. And then also, you know, around the same time, uh, Milton Friedman had written Free to Choose. And now, of course, he was a bigger name than on Hospers or, or Murray Rosbart, especially back then. And right. anyway, but the point is, yeah. So it started out where, uh, you know, I, I had heard of the libertarians and, you know, I, I was already kind of a Reagan Republican. And, I, I, you know, I, there were certainly some inconsistencies to, you know, conservatism. You know, they, they claim that, you know, they want less government, but then, you know, here they are wanting to ban abortion. And in those days, they also were, were, were anti, pretty much anti-gay rights and, you know, the, all the social issues. So I, I always thought that, well, that's kind of a contradiction. But but it really was that, if you want to call it an insult or a, uh, my feelings were hurt, but but I, I did what I think a person should do because I did really respect Robert Hamilton and he really was a libertarian. And so I went and I checked out some books in the library because this was, but there was no internet. And that's right. kind, of how, kind of how you had to do it. And and just reading, reading John Hosper's book. Now, he's kind of a minarchist. And, of course, you know, Rothbard was an anarchist. And I never really have gotten much involved. You know, to me, I want to get rid of 99 percent, pretty much 99 percent of the government and, and all taxation. I do believe taxation is stuff. So I've never really gotten into the minarch, minarch, you know, minarchism versus anarchism debate. I, ju- I just don't think it's that important for, for libertarians to spend any time you know, as long as you understand the taxation is theft and we need to end the Fed and, you know, all, you know, get rid of the draft, all these other things. But 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 anyway, just to wrap up my answer, my long answer is, yeah, it, it really just started out with that with that, you know, slight insult. Uh, I felt hurt that this this older guy, uh, you know, who was also in the Reagan campaign. So he was a libertarian for Reagan. There were actually quite a few back then. And uh, but w- when he said that, I, I just felt, you know, like I, I just can't. You know, he, he told me, he said, you know, I'm disappointed in you. I believe this is how he put it. And I'm, I felt hurt. And so I but, you know, I didn't get mad at him. I went back and I researched and I'm like, hey, he's right. <laughs> if anything, <laughs> Reagan is way too moderate. I mean, properly, you know, phrasing it correctly. Yeah, Reagan was a real disappointment, believe me. I mean, what Ron Paul said in 87 when he quit the Republican Party was just spot on, you know, full stop. I mean, he said it completely correctly. The Republican Party, you know, Reagan won like 94 states in two elections. He could have done so much more. I mean, I don't know. You may be too young to remember any of that, but but I'm not. And I remember it very well. And, you know, Reagan won in 84, his second his second term, he won 49 states. And if he had really been anti-government, mm-hmm. he could have done so much in that second term. And, you know, he didn't. He turned out to be just another <laughs> politician. And uh, so, yeah, so Robert Hamilton was right. But but I used that little, you know, those hurt feelings to do something about it. And, yeah, so by, by the time I read through, you know, Hosper's book and Rothbard's book. And of course, you know, I was already Milton Friedman is, you know, if he's not an outright libertarian, he's he's very, very, very close. Right. Uh, you know, and so once I read those those books and that's way back 42 years ago that I was hooked, I was a libertarian. I, I went and and uh, I met some more libertarians through the Reagan campaign. In fact, some libertarians here in Austin, they uh, Gene Berkman was a guy I met way back then. And he was he believed in voting. He voted for Reagan for president. And of course, he regretted it like everyone else. In hindsight, it turned out to be a mistake. But yeah, I voted for that year. I, I volunteered for the Reagan campaign. So I went ahead in November of 1980. I voted for Reagan at the top of the ticket. But down ballot, I voted for every 
uh, every libertarian candidate. I don't think I voted for any other Republican. Now, at that time, I'd already moved from Houston, so I couldn't vote for Ron Paul. So I, in fact, I don't know that I didn't vote for Ron Paul again until 2008 when he ran for president. But but uh, but yeah, obviously, Ron Paul would be a Republican I support. But and, and today there's, you know, there's Rand Paul and Thomas right. Massey and the late, you know, well, he's not in Congress anymore. Justin Amos. These are all great Republicans. And of course, Yao, you know, Young Americans for Liberty. They have their Hazlitt coalition. Those are all solid guys. So I definitely would support those guys. But 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 anyway, yeah, so that that's kind of how I became a libertarian because I felt my, my feelings were hurt by an older libertarian guy. And but but he turned out to be right. He turned out to be a thousand percent correct. And uh, and so but but, you know, I, I use that I use that, you know, hurt feelings to to actually do my research. And and, and I don't regret any of it. And really, since 1980, that honestly, Reagan was the last Republican I've ever I voted for. Other than I, I voted for Ron Paul in the 2008 primary and, uh, you know, had ran had had Ron won, of course, I would have voted for for him, even though he was a Republican. And I would have voted for Rand had Rand defeated, you know, the Trump, the Trump phenomena. Right. But of course, nobody could do that. And and uh, so now, I, I yeah, I pretty much I don't know that I vote for. I'm so disappointed with Republicans. Most of my close friends, I don't know how it is for you, but most of my friends are if they're not libertarian, they're they're Republican. And so a lot of them like Trump because of all the woke stuff. And, and I don't really blame them for that. But, you know, they don't understand the way you and I do, Taylor, about, you know, that thirty one trillion dollar drought. I mean, that's uh-huh. it's not just a number. It's not just a, st- a statistic. It, it really means something. And at some point, you know, obviously we're going to have to either sell off every single federal land. And, and but you can't just do that, you know, or, and, and even maybe even repudiate the national debt. You're going to have to reform the programs. You're going to have to cut benefits, even for existing. I don't know, maybe somebody 70 and older or 75 and older. You'd say, okay, you know, you're so old. We're not going to cut your benefits. But people younger, they need to be told now, you know, that, hey, you know, (laughs) you're not going to get any more than, I don't know, maybe twice what you put in the system during your working years. Because right now it's the whole program social security is just set there's these cost of living adjustments but they're they're overly generous they they give people even more than just the regular you know rate of inflation increase and so but but that all has to be reformed and i you know again if we if 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 we debated if there was actually a congressional race with doggett and and the republican if we actually had debates and you know where then i would obviously bring this up but of course they they won't do it and and i'm sure if they did they would label me some kind of kook and crazy nut that's gonna you know push grandma off the off the cliff you know in her wheelchair i mean that i mean obviously that we're not going to do that but but that's how that's how (laughs) we would be that's how we would be uh you know characterized so i mean doggett probably won't even debate the Democrat, right? We, we mentioned that a little bit before we well, started recording, but he's, yeah, he's probably not going to debate at all. You don't think? Well, no. I mean, they there. There's no reason now. W- see what 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 you know? These candidates, you know, Doggett is pretty old. Now he's the Democrat, and uh, Sharon is the Republican. She's much younger. She's probably in her mid thirties, I think. Yeah, she's roughly in her mid thirties. Doggett's in his mid seventies, and I'm somewhere in between. But I guess I'm closer to Doggett in age. But the point is, is that 
you know, what, what he does because he's so old, he has a, a staff of, of people who, who, who run his social media. I'm pretty sure it's not him because I, I, I do follow him on Twitter and on Facebook and, you know, like he's out meeting with some old senior citizens and, you know, so you see images on Twitter. Uh, here's the Congress or, you know, it's a campaign. So here's, Here's uh, Mr. Doggett. Me- or, well, I guess they even use the fact that he's a congressman. You know, here's Congressman Doggett meeting with, you know, the Hayes County. Well, I'm not even sure. Let's say the Travis County senior citizens of Westlake. And I mean, that's that's the campaign. Like he's very active on Twitter, as, as are most, I think, most congressional incumbents. They, you know, it's all them kissing babies. And it's, <laughs> but it's, it's nothing about ideas. Oh, I mean, sure. Like after after the Dobbs decision, of course, you know, I'm, I'm pro-choice. Uh, he he really came out against the Republicans. And, and you know, I'm, I am pro-choice. But so, you know, that decision prompted some real ideas that he actually said something about, you know, uh, the Dobbs decision, how it was a bad decision for for women's choice. And, and that is true. And I'm trying to think of what else he would have done. Well, I'm sure he's down with Biden's, you know, inflation. Oh, <laughs> but sure. it, let's fight inflation, you know, and, and blaming Putin for higher prices. And <laughs> but, but that's kind of what they do. But but don't get me wrong. It's not like he's very active. Like like I say, most congressional incumbents, they're all over Twitter and they're all over Facebook. And I don't I think even now, TikTok, <laughs> there's some candidates on TikTok now, but but it's nothing about ideas. It's nothing about that thirty one trillion dollar debt or about Social Security uh, running out of money in a few years. No, no, it's it's pictures of them, like I say, kissing babies or meeting with, you know, with with, you know, old uh, senior citizens. And of course, senior citizens tend to vote more than anyone else. Oh, and then he was really he was really in favor of the. Um, uh, the, what is it? The college loan repudiation. Oh, uh, he, right. Yeah, he was he was very much for that. I'm not even sure if uh, uh, Sharon, the Republican, I'm not sure if she said much. So she's also on social media, but it's it, it's all very, you know, very manicured and <clears throat> closely watched. They don't. But there's no ideas there. They don't they don't see that debt as a, a problem or even the war in Ukraine. I mean, I, I'm sure like all the Democrats supported the the aid package to Ukraine. I, I don't know mm-hmm. how you feel. Most libertarians like like me, and I, I think I speak for most libertarians, and maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but I, the whole Ukraine thing, we the U.S. foreign policy caused a lot of that. I mean, if we had had non-interventionism just the last eight years in, in Ukraine, I don't think we'd, there'd be a war there now. And But but most Americans don't know that. Most Democrats don't know that. So, so yeah, he's all for, you know, you know, aiding ukraine putin is like uh, practically another hitler so so that's kind of what passes as as you know i'm sure if you keep up with with things that's what passes oh, yeah. for various I mean, political dialogue yeah he's just uh i don't know he, he just goes along with the democratic status quo you know that's his that's his narrative that's his agenda he's not really he's not really any more impressive than that that's just kind of the role that he plays and you know like like you said earlier he gets to play that role and do it successfully because of the district that he's in it's just not a competitive district they drew it that way intentionally um there's actually a lot of people in san antonio that turned on doggett because he you know they they basically drew him out of san antonio and put him all in austin and a lot of people were thinking that he might try to run for a district in San Antonio because, you know, th- those are people that he's represented for some time now, but, uh, you know, then, you know, he's, he, he went to run in the district that he's in now and 
a lot of uh, a lot of his San Antonio fans are salty about it, but uh, they don't get to vote for him anyway. So <laughs> you know, it's it's not like they get a say in it. Um, well, you know, the Republicans the Republicans redrew the line, and so obviously he's a Democrat. So they, you know, what they do is they put more than enough Democratic voters in his district. So what he ended up having to do, see, he he was in 35. So when they created 37 and 38, he he doesn't actually live in 37. I actually live in 37. But, you know, again, it's it's not I mean, I in the past, this is like my first congressional election out of what, five where I actually live in the district. So so I can't really I would never attack him for that anyway. Now, So, yeah. So his district now now he's from Austin. I mean, I know enough about him. I met him years ago. He's um, I mean, he's been in politics really since uh, Watergate. He's like in his mid 70s. He ran. He got his law degree from UT Austin. I mean, in, in other words, I, I because he's from Austin and he went to UT, which is my alma mater. I mean, I've met him more than uh, more than a few times. In fact, he's he's a nice guy. Uh, he's not a. I mean, he's not a. Um, I mean, he's just your. He's a typical politician, but but really, he really does believe these things. Like, I mean, I know when I ran against him four years ago. Now, this is before the the college loan repudiation uh, of, you know, college debt repudiation. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was all for, you know, obviously UT was close to, I I guess UT was, he actually, he didn't actually represent the physical UT, but a lot of students live, you know, a a few blocks who lived in his district attended UT. So, you know, it's kind of political suicide to attack UT Austin. Mm -hmm. So he didn't, and he was all for, you know, more student loans, more student, you know, more federal money given to colleges and university, which, so, so he never, in fact, I, I attacked him four years ago on that. I, I didn't get very far because again, it wasn't much of a, uh, in fact, I even submitted a guest column to the daily Texan. This is four years ago. They didn't run it. And I, I'm not surprised, but, but, you know, it, it's always the same thing. It's like, you know, we need more money spent for education that we need to keep college accessible. So he's, he's, um, completely, uh, you know, proponent of that view. And then, like I say, you know, now he supports President Biden. I'm trying to think of what else. Now, he's pro-choice, which I'm, I'm pro-choice myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's some other issues. But, of course, the war in Ukraine, that's a real disappointment. You know, even Barbara Lee, I don't know if you remember, she was, I think she was even the, the only congressman who voted for that ridiculous, back in 2001, you know, Barbara Lee represents uh, she's a black congresswoman from the Oakland area, I believe. Was right. she still in Congress? She voted for Ukraine aid. I was somewhat surprised. In fact, every single Democrat did. All the squad. So, you know, in back, I'm old enough to remember where, you know, the one great, the one salvation to liberal and leftist Democrats is they were anti-war. And now right. not one Democrat voted against the Ukraine package. And I was a little surprised. I really was. And it, it's disappointing. And now what's so ironic, it's the right wingers. I don't know if you know or not. You probably know because you're on top of things. Margie Taylor Greene, I'm not a big fan of her because no. I really think Trump <laughs> lost. I think Trump lost uh, fair and square. But, you know, Tom Woods on his podcast just a few months ago, he had, you know, he was playing all these clips by Margie Taylor Greene. And she was totally against the Ukraine aid package. And she almost sounded like a libertarian. So even though I'm not, kind of a that kind of right wingy person and you know not only her but matt gates of florida he's also anti very anti-war so so even though there's a lot of objectionable things about marjorie taylor green and 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 matt gates at least they got the war right 
At right. least they got that right. And then the Democrats, who you would think they would be, you know, the squad, Barbara Lee, they all blew it on, on Ukraine. They all did. And, you know, I don't know if you know or not. Hey, but, you know, Scott, hey Clark, just uh, oh, just real quick. We, yeah, we've got we've got yeah, about right a minute now. left. I, I just wanted to give you some time here at the end. Hate to cut you off, but just to promote anything that you might want to promote as we wind down here. Well, you know, if, if people do want to go uh, and read my long, my long, uh, uh, I guess you call it uh, my manifesto at my website, it's uh, <laughs> ClarkPForCongress.com. And I have a Facebook page. It's just just type in Clark Patterson for for U.S. Congress. And it should be me that comes up on Facebook. So those are where. And then, of course, I also have I'm on Twitter at uh, Clark Patterson 12 was my congressional Twitter Twitter. But I, I'm not as active there. I'm really the best place to go is either Facebook or, or my website.